Welcome to this special ProPass webinar series. We have started a collaboration with ProPass Consortium and are publishing their webinars in podcast format so more people can benefit from their useful content. In short, ProPass is an international research collaboration platform of cohorts using Taiwan accelerometry to explore the effects of physical activity, posture, and sleep patterns on a wide range of health outcomes. Without further ado, let's jump to ProPass webinar. Well, thanks, Wei. Um, I'm going to also ask Manos to, to chime in on this on this area. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Borja. And this is this is not an easy undertaking. So the, uh, the certainly the partnership with Eisbach has given a lot of momentum on the expansion to the lower middle income countries. The problem we seem to encounter time and time again. Uh, we have engaged uh, with discussions with quite a few different researchers, individual researchers, groups, uh, cohorts uh, in Latin America, in various uh, areas, LMIC areas around the world. The problem is that we do offer devices, we do offer training, and that, in some occasions, doesn't seem to be sufficient because they research in many countries, LMIC countries. They run projects on a shoestring, so it's very resources are very very minimal, and even with the substantial, despite the substantial support, material support we can offer, we can offer we can offer to travel and uh, provide training directly, uh, and they don't seem to have resources to run the studies on some occasions. So, I think this is a big question, and we may need to reconsider how we approach it. Because yeah, we have we have engaged quite a bit, and we have made lots of efforts to to take off, to to kind of initiate large scale, very large scale studies in LMICs. And so far, yeah, so far our efforts have not been directly fruitful. We learned a lot, but certainly we may need to reconsider our approach and perhaps work more closely with WHO. I think Icebach and WHO. We need. I think we need to 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 have discussions around how to optimally do it. Great. Thank you both. So just in the interest of time, we're going to move on to presentations from four of our new cohort studies. So the format here will be each each cohort will give a brief presentation followed by any questions that you may have for them. So again, feel free to please put them in the chat. And then if, if time permits at the end, we'll finish with a, a broader open discussion with all cohorts. So first up, I'm pleased to introduce Prof. Uh, Field. Lisa is the Deputy Director of the MRC WITS Developmental Pathways for Health Research Unit um, at the University of Witwatersrand in South Africa, um, and she is also leading the Middle-Aged Soweto Cohort Study. Great. Thank Thanks. Thanks so much, Joe. I can't see anyone on my screen, so would you mind just saying yes if you can see the, my, my slides? Yes, we can. Perfect. Great. Thanks so much. So firstly, a really big thank you for inviting me to just give a very quick sort of snapshot of our cohort within Soweto. It really is going to be a bit of a, a whirlwind, but I, I really hope to have more questions and obviously very, very happy to, to be in contact with anyone who's particularly interested in this cohort. So our cohort, we've, we've named the Middle-Aged Soweto cohort, and it's actually based within Soweto, which makes, which is for obvious reasons, the, behind the name. And Soweto is really just kind of to the, the southwest of Johannesburg, and it's an area Within South Africa, that's, that's a, a real kind of cross-section of, of various different socioeconomic strata. 
And I've tried to include some photographs here. You see a very sort of informal housing together with some much more formal housing within the area. And it crosses about 200 square kilometers um, with a population of about 1.9 million people. So that shows kind of how densely populated it is um, in Soweto with probably about 6,400 people or so per square kilometer. So this is a study and, and it's been touched on in the presentations that have been, that have just recently been, is that many studies like this are very under-resourced and, and this cohort has come together really based on kind of opportunistically looking at studies in the field and pulling together the data. So it started um, back in um, sort of 2011 or so, but this was really a cohort of, of women who had previously been the caregivers of our birth to 20 cohort, which is a birth cohort in Soweto that was started in 1990. So the women in our Awijen study were the previous caregivers. We also recruited as a similarly aged sample of men at the time. And that was known as Awijen and it was a multi-country study within sub-Saharan Africa, looking at a number of different things, body composition and cardiometabolic disease, as well as obviously genetic and environmental factors associated with that. Then in 2017, 2018, we received some money from the Newton Fund as well as GSK and the South African MRC to follow up a random subsample of, of this particular sample, specifically looking at type 2 diabetes outcomes. So we, we did OGTTs on all the participants, which were at that time about 1,000. So it was 1,000 of the original 2,000, as well as quite in detail body composition and very importantly, accelerometry data was collected here as well. And I will present very briefly some of that data to you now. Awigen 2 then occurred in sort of 2019, 2021, when we recruited about 1,400 people for that. So they were, had been part of the original Awigen with a big overlap into our, our study in 2017. Unfortunately, because the focus then really wasn't on physical activity, we only collected self-report physical activity. But the exciting part behind this is that we are due, we've actually just recruited our study team now, and we're going back into the field now to collect data, ideally on our original 1,400 or so men and women that had been part of the original Awigen. So when we followed up this cohort in 2017-2018, the last time we saw them as part of the, the larger diabetes project, we had a follow-up period of between three and five years in the men and the women from the, Awigen, the original Awigen cohort with a mean age of, of just under 54 years. So just a really quick snapshot of some of the data that we've, as I said, we had about a thousand, more or less, excuse me, a thousand men and women, approximately 50, 53 years or so. You can see our BMI and our cohort is, is exceptionally high with um, a mean BMI of uh, 33 in the women um, with about 90% prevalence of overweight and obesity. And also very importantly in this cohort is that we also have a relatively high prevalence of people um, living with HIV, close to 20%. I'm just going to tell you now just briefly how we've collected the physical activity data and then I will show you some of the data. So we worked very closely here with colleagues at the MRC Epidemiology Unit and specifically Soren Bragg. And what we did in our cohort of approximately 1,000 men and women is they wore actigraphs then around the waist, as well as active pearls on their thighs. And what we did then 
is we used various cut points, Enmo cut points at the thigh and at the hip to divide the activity into, or the, the movement into either static or moving. So that was combining thigh and hip. And if we didn't have both accelerometers, we would, we would use one or the other. So if we look a little bit more closely at, at what was, we then termed as static, we then used the active pearl, which was on the thigh and looked really at the angle of the active pearl in terms of posture to then try to determine if when they were static, whether they were sitting or lying awake or whether they were standing. And sorry, the sitting and lying, we then used self-reported sleep diaries to then determine whether they, they were sleeping while sitting or lying or whether they were awake while sitting or lying. So then we then had a portion of the time spent standing. And then when looking at moving outcomes, we used the, the Enmo cut points again from the hip and the thigh or the hip or the thigh. And then we were able to use cut points to, to differentiate between light intensity, physical activity and moderate to vigorous. So at the end of the day, we were able to have time spent in sleep, awake, sitting or lying, standing, light, and then MVPA as well. And just looking very briefly at, at some of the measures in our cohort, we can see that this is, this is just in minutes per day. Light physical activity was just under two hours and the men and women are not really too different between them. MVPA was about nearly double in the men compared to the women. But again, you can see if you were to, to say, are oh, the, this cohort meeting recommendations, you certainly would say yes, looking at those MVPA cut points, but we're still dealing with a 90% prevalence of overweight and obesity in the women. Looking at standing, the women are spending a lot more time standing than the men, and that's kind of three to four hours. The time spent in sedentary sitting lying is really, really high, up to 10 hours a day. And then we have pretty normal sleep patterns um, in this cohort, just measured in this way. But obviously, it would be very interesting to look a little bit more um, in depth. We have published more work on this, looking at our outcomes. As I said, we have extensive measures of body composition, as well as some cardiometabolic outcomes, including OGTTs to look at type 2 diabetes. And just a very briefly, a sort of a snapshot in a bit of a cartoon format is we used isotemporal substitution to look at substituting 30 minutes of one particular behavior with 30 minutes of another. And what we found in one of our papers, what in the men, just really substituting 30 minutes of either sitting, standing, or light intensity exercise with MVPA was associated with lower fasting glucose as well as higher insulin sensitivity measured in the oral glucose tolerance test. And then just replacing sitting with MVPA in the men, 30 minutes of these behaviors was associated with lower fat mass measured by DEXA. In the women, a little bit different again, doing 30 minutes of MVPA in terms of, of either sitting, standing, or, or light intensity was associated with higher basal insulin clearance from the OGTT as well as lower fat mass. But really interestingly is even just replacing sitting with standing in the women was associated with lower fasting glucose and higher insulin sensitivity. And then just replacing sitting with walking or light intensity activity was associated with lower fasting glucose. So there certainly does seem to be some exciting opportunities there with our physical activity data. And as I've mentioned, we're about to go back into the field now to collect the data again. So really looking forward to, to what lies ahead. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Lisa. I have a, a question for you. So as we've 
just been been discussing, ProPass is actively trying to expand beyond European um, and Australian-based cohort studies. So one of the, the key expansions has been MASK. Can you give your view on why it's so important for international consortia to include um, cohorts from diverse geographical areas? Well, thanks, Joe. So absolutely. I think what and what we are missing here, and somebody did mention a bit earlier, is is the domains of activity. And I think that's where particularly some a cohort like MASK who actually um, participate in very, very little organized recreational activity. And, and, I, and I think then being able to include them in a kind of a more international consortia, we're starting to see representation of cohorts that are participating not in your kind of typical exercise 30 minutes a day, but it's what's, you know, that, that 30 minutes might very well be walking to and from work because they have no other access to, to good public transport. So to be able to have a little bit more of an understanding around the domains of activity from different cohorts to be able to give much more, perhaps, relevant recommendations. Great. Thank you, Lisa. We have one question that has just come through from um, Andreas Holterman. So Andreas says that the average duration of standing in, in your cohort was very high, wearing four hours for women and higher than high-income countries. So what are your thoughts about this with respect to health and recommendations? That's yeah. That's a, that's a great question, and it certainly doesn't. It certainly in the women there seems to be a little bit around health when we did that. As I said, it's really cross-sectional data, isotemporal substitution, but it did show that even standing, replacing sitting, did have some benefit. And it's and it it's probably high again because the women are spending time working on their feet, so perhaps domestic activities or, you know, perhaps selling food on the side of the road, that those kind of activities, which a lot of the women are involved in and having to stand for long periods of time, but may not necessarily be what is traditionally active. So again, I think we need to explore those different behaviors much more closely to see whether they are associated with, with, with more health outcomes and, and then obviously try to encourage, encourage them. Great. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.